Good morning again. I think it was Blaise Pascal that was quoted in saying, between heaven and earth, there is only life, which is the frailest thing of all. Um, and this morning's sermon would make a beautiful Easter sermon, I think, uh, because it, it just is, is about life and, and the resurrection. I'd like to back up and just uh, look at the last few verses in Acts chapter 22 first, um, and then moving into, uh, into Acts uh, 23, and we'll just look at the first 11 verses of this chapter. And so Paul is in Jerusalem, and um, he uh, has a vision of um, of the Lord saying to him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And he's recounting this to his Jewish audience, who up until this point in time had listened to him. It says in, in uh, 2222, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out what they were shouting against him, why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship with a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. Those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had had him bound. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. 
And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you so you must testify also in Rome. So just to recap this story, uh, Paul says uh, that the Lord told him that he would be sending him far away to the Gentiles, and now the group is ready to kill him. The tribune orders him to the barracks where Paul would be flogged. Now, um, there were many that did not survive the flogging. That was how serious it was. And the tribune is going to have the facts extracted from him as to what was going on, whatever the cost, and likely possibly um, Paul's life. He wanted to know why was there an insurrection? Why were they shouting and wanting his death? The truth would be gotten to. And Paul questions the centurion who's there carrying out his orders uh, regarding the law, regarding Roman law, would it be lawful for him to be flogged? And now the tribune, when he becomes aware of this, he's afraid that likely he'll lose his position and possibly he'll lose his life for the offense that, that he has brought on Paul. But then we see at the end of chapter 22, and kind of the beginning of this body of narrative, the tribune wants to know what's going on. And so the next day, it says in verse 30, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. So the tribune wants to get to the bottom of this and in his mind, the best way is just to bring all the parties together and and see what what's happening. It's interesting now that how Paul addresses the council. He looks intently at them. Did he know any of them from his past? We don't know, and it doesn't say. Um, but now he speaks to them and says, brothers. He puts himself on an equal plane with them. He is not there as the one that is just accused um, as a criminal or something, but he's saying brothers. He puts himself on an equal plane with them. And then he says this, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. What is he saying? What, what, is, what does Paul mean when he says, what is he communicating? I believe what he's communicating is that when I practiced Judaism, it was all in good conscience, living before God. And now, 
as a follower of Christ, I still am living before God in all good conscience. That's why Ananias had him struck. That's why he had him um, struck in the mouth. Because of this bold statement that Paul's saying that when I practiced Judaism, it was in good conscience before God. Now, following Christ, it's in good conscience before God. So we saw that um, Paul questioned Roman law when he was about to be flogged and says, is it lawful? And now Paul questions the Judaic law when he says, um, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? Yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Uh, in what I was reading, it said that um, in Hebrew law, it was to be struck in the mouth. It was said, he who strikes the cheek of an Israelite strikes, as it were, the glory of God. And I think that's what Paul is citing here, that um, that Ananias had ordered something against him that was contrary to Hebrew law. And we could ask ourselves, so why did Paul call Ananias a whitewashed wall? And we'll come back to that. But when it's pointed out to Paul that Ananias was the chief priest, he again cites the law. We see how how fluent Paul was in Roman law, in Hebrew law, and Paul cites again saying, you are not to speak evil of a ruler of your people. He said, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize that Ananias was the high priest. I'm sorry. But Paul continues to goad the bear, as it were. You know, so here he is in this body of people, uh, and now he aligns himself with the Pharisees and says, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and it is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial, which now causes the next insurrection. And um, it was so violent that the tribune has Paul removed by force from them because he's afraid that Paul will be torn limb from limb. He's taken back to the barracks for his own safety. And the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So that's the recap of, of this narrative here. And what I'd like to do is just briefly look at the characters that are involved and some lessons that we can see from, from each of the people here. First, we have the tribune. He's not named. He just has a title, but God knows his name. And I feel like his desiring to know the real reason, the real why, what was going on here, is somewhat reminiscent of Pilate saying, what is truth? Did it go beyond the insurrection? Did it go beyond what was occurring in his jurisdiction that he just needed to know? Um, or was it because whatever he had seen and heard now from Paul, um, that it, it was God working in his life. We see that the Tribune works hard on more than one occasion to save Paul's life. He didn't have to do that. 
He didn't need to do those things, yet he took responsibility for Paul. Perhaps it was just because he was a Roman citizen, or perhaps through Paul's actions and words, he had some understanding of what the truth was and the resurrection of the dead. Ananias. According to historians, he was very wealthy and power. He used his money to bribe officials. He used his power to steal tithes uh, by force for his own purposes. He had the ability to hire mercenaries for street battles in Jerusalem. He was a bad guy, and he set a bad example for all the other high priests, which takes us back to why did Paul call him a whitewashed wall? Paul didn't recognize him as the high priest, but what did he recognize? For, for Jewish people, they would become ceremonially unclean if they touched the dead. So tombs were whitewashed so that by accident, you wouldn't go and touch something and become unclean. So whereas Paul did not recognize Ananias as a high priest, what he did see was a whitewashed tomb. He saw a person who by his actions and his life exuded death. A person can know the law, a person can look good on the outside, but in reality, be spiritually dead and exude death. So a simple prayer for us is that we as individuals or a local body exude life, not death. Paul, the next character that I'd like to look at. Throughout this whole little scenario, He's inflammatory. He had to know, reminding his audience of their being witness to the blood of Stephen, a reminder of their hatred and violence. And now that the Lord was sending him to the Gentiles, incites them further. And then brought before the council and mentioning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, being the reason that he was on trial. He knew that that would, again, cause dissension and violence. He had sharp words toward Ananias, albeit not knowing his position, but it was an insult. It was a sharp insult. And then addressing twice the council as an equal and saying that he was brother, I would think could have been considered presumptuous and possibly a offensive. It reminds me of what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verses 16 through 20, when he said to his disciples, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. And it's just, you can see how perfectly those words fit into how Paul had been treated. He'd been delivered to be flogged. 
he was a man who was in the midst of wolves, as it were, as a sheep. But we saw the wisdom of Paul and the words that he chose and the things that he said. And through this whole thing, I think the biggest point and why I said this would be a great Easter message is that Paul was consistent to his underlying theme. And his underlying theme was the hope of the resurrection. Stephen at his, stone, at his stoning clearly believed in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul had cited Stephen in the chapter 22 because Stephen says, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Paul testifies that he is on trial with respect to the hope and resurrection of the dead. Paul personally had an experience with the risen Lord when he was on the road and had to say, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul had a personal relationship with the risen Christ. And finally, the last character in this passage is the Lord himself. Just in one verse, we see that he stood by Paul. Just his presence comforting him. Paul, who could have been feeling like quite a failure at this point in time, who was thinking, I've been through a lot, riots, and so on. Things haven't gone too well in Jerusalem. I was almost flogged. And then after being almost flogged, I was in a place where I was almost going to be torn apart, limb from limb. He's thinking, maybe I was born to be unlucky. Um, I'm in a stinky barracks for my own safety. And now Paul, who was testifying to the resurrection of the dead, has the Lord standing beside him. And Jesus says, take courage. You're not a failure. The facts in Jerusalem are, are that I am alive. The facts will be the same in Rome when you testify to me in Rome. I am alive. Testify to these things. So what are some takeaways? The tribune is without knowledge or hope. And he sees and hears through the life of Paul that there is hope because Jesus is alive. Ananias. We can look good and know the truth and still have the stink of death on us. Um, Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. He was talking about serving God or serving money. Ananias chose poorly. And from Paul, lesson or takeaway is hold firm 
to the truth you know. He is risen. Be as gentle as a dove. Be as vulnerable as a sheep. But don't be afraid to be wise as a serpent. Serpent. Trusting the spirit for what to say. As you testify that he is risen. That's the most important thing for us to be testifying about Jesus, is it not? He is risen. If he were not raised, our hope is in vain. But he is risen. So here in Central Jersey, in our places where we go, in our work, in our school, in our neighborhoods, is to testify that he is risen. And finally, thinking of that last character, Jesus, we need to be thankful for the life we have. We need to be thankful that he's raised us from the dead, as it were. Thankful for how gracious and merciful he is to each one of us every day and for the hope that we have in him. Lord Jesus, how great is our salvation. And it's great because what you have done for us, that which we could not do for ourselves, that you have raised us from death to life, and that we have a hope of eternal life to be spent in glory with you. Help us to live each day with the proper perspective and the reminder that you are alive and that our lives should be different because of that. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the promise that words will be given to us at the time that we need them. So help us to go forth and show your love and light to those around us. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.